0: Welcome to the Family OS Podcast. I'm Kate. And I'm Tanner. We're obsessed with creating the family life we desire, and we call it the Family Operating System. Join us each week to learn how to improve communication, be in control of your future, and love life. Welcome to the Family OS Podcast. My name is Kate and I'm here with Steve Levitt, who is a Christian biblical counselor and a graduate of the Dallas Theological Seminary with a Master's of Arts in Biblical Counseling. He's also the co-author of the book, Walking on Water When You Feel Like Drowning. What an amazing book title right there, because so many of us feel like we're drowning nowadays. Uh, Steve's spoken to thousands uh, through training seminars at churches to give people real solutions to today's most pressing, pressing issues on marriage, um, how to parent, dealing with grief, fear, anxiety, and depression. Steve and his wife, Marty, have been married for 20 years. They have a heart for missions. You've spent time in Kenya working with orphans and the homeless, uh, also working with the widows there and uh, training pastors. And you've also even done some work with the Deaf School there in Kenya, too. Amazing work that you've been doing. Uh, and you are an ordained minister, been counseling for over 25 years. Welcome, Steve. Thank you for being a part of the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Love to be here. And hopefully um, I have something to share that would be interesting to some folks.
0: Yeah, well, I think I think that will certainly be the case because as uh, we've really... Um, Started to get into understanding our audience and what they've been going through. They're really feeling like, as your book title says, like they're drowning. There's a lot going on, communicating with their spouse. How Uh, To not have the kids take over the household, like all of these things. So um, I'm sure with your experience, you'll have some insight that they can benefit from. But before we actually get into all of that, just share with us a little bit of your journey, your story, because you've gone through so much. Um, the loss of your first wife, and adopting a child, and just dealing with different family dynamics, and the people you've counseled over the years. So, um, share with the audience, you know, a little bit of your journey and how you also got to rock your family.
1: Yeah, you bet. Thank you, Kate, so much. Uh, look, my my story, you know, I, I ha- almost have to isolate part of my story out because. Um, it just covers everything. It's crazy. It just, it, my story kind of covers everything, but I, I'll kind of try to summarize and maybe you can pick out parts that you'd like to speak about or talk about too. But so I was raised uh, a farm kid, like truly in the middle of nowhere, farm ranch, riding bulls and, and driving tractors kind of guy. And I'd never really had anything hard happen to me through my childhood. I don't have any trauma in my childhood, nothing major hard. That had ever happened to me. I went off to college and I remember from an early age, okay, that, that I, I thought about marriage all the time. I just couldn't wait to be married. I, yeah. I was so excited to be married. I love marriage. Yeah. I love everything about marriage. I, and so I was all excited about it. And then I met Martha Fusell from Dallas, Texas. And uh, gosh, I just could not, uh, couldn't wait uh, to marry this gal. But I told her right away that I wasn't going to kiss her until I asked her to marry me because I didn't want to mess it up. <laughs> and and uh, she says, good, I'm not going to let you kiss me till I, until you ask me to marry you. And so we held hands after six months of dating. Actually, I dated her for six months before she dated me. <laughs> she didn't she didn't know we were dating, but, but we were. And uh, I finally informed her of that and she said, okay. But Anyway, six more months later, I finally asked her to marry me. I, I kissed her for the first time. And then we were married six months later. And I say all that to say, man, I jumped into marriage. So excited. I love marriage. And I had found the girl of my dream. She was so far over my head. Kate, I had no business with her. I mean, she was amazing. She was incredible. And we did, did great marriage and ministry and doing things along the way. And, and, uh, we had our first son, Dane, he's 26 now. Uh, and so fun to have a, our first kid. You know how that is when your first kid. So fun. Then found out we were pregnant again with our second child. And that's when we found out she was diagnosed with cancer, large cell lymphoma. And we began to fight the cancer. They told us, by the way, to abort the fetus, that it would never survive the chemo. And the doctor said it would just get in the way. Mm. And I looked this old seasoned expert doctor in the eye and I, good old country boy, I said, look, doc, why don't you worry about the cancer? We'll let God worry about our baby. Mm. And, uh, so we, we decided to go on with pregnancy and we did. And little Madison was born six, three pounds, 14 ounces. Perfect. Went from the home from the hospital in three days. Wow. Um, and unfortunately four months after that, the chemo came back with a vengeance and, uh, Martha passed away actually in my arms in our living room alone. On a cold November night, uh, she passed away. And so I was left with a two-year-old and four-month-old. I have a very unique perspective that a lot of men don't have in that I quit my job and took care of a two-year-old and a four-month-old for a year by myself. Mm-hmm. I just became a mommy, basically. Yeah. I, I really stunk at it, but, but I stepped into that role yeah. uh, of mommy. Uh, and then I got married uh, about a little over a year later. Got married, remarried to another girl way over my head, this amazing girl, uh, Marty. I married way over my head again, and uh, Marty and I had uh, our first child together not long after that, um, a year after that, and then we adopted a little girl from South Korea named Malia. So there's four children, three different moms, two different marriages Mm -hmm. in my life by the age of 32 or three years old.
0: Yeah. It's quite a quite a journey, and so much. I mean, what a roller coaster that must have been from an emotional standpoint, and knowing that you also have other lives that depend on you and that are looking up to you for um, how to maneuver this. So yes, what so so what do you do? Because I mean, I I know that many families go through this, and whether it is loss or a blended family of some kind, you know. I mean, just various. Yep. Even though the circumstances don't have to be the exact same, that emotional roller coaster is there. So, how do you help someone work through all that?
1: So, this will be interesting. I think you'll be interested to hear this. Yeah, um, I speak to about twenty to forty mops or mother groups a year, but uh, because of my story, but something happened, Kate, that was very interesting in that. I didn't know it, but I had been an anxious kid my whole life. I'd been, ang- I'd had anxiety my whole life, and I didn't even know what it was until Martha got sick. And um, I went into full blown kind of panic and anxiety, and I still didn't know what it was. I just thought I was dying too, to be honest. I thought I was sick or something was wrong with me. And after she passed away, I would lay in bed shaking at night. I, I, my stomach hurt constantly. I had all kinds of gut issues i was racing in my mind over and over again and i finally figured out and put a name to oh this is called anxiety i'm having anxiety Mm -hmm. and the reason why mothers tend to love to hear my story is because most moms especially postpartum or after that first or second kid are dealing with some form of anxiety fear worry stress Mm -hmm. even depression right Mm -hmm. so emotional distress became a huge part of my life. And I had to learn to deal with it. And I'm becoming kind of an expert now on the area of anxiety, fear, worry, stress, OCD, and and depression. So that part of it was hard on the roller coaster that you're talking about. I was a mess trying to take care of two kids. And then now my wife, new wife, I was a disaster. Yeah. To be honest, I had to figure out how to fix it. And I did. That's what the book's about. Actually, the book that I wrote is about how to uh, manage uh, yourself during emotional distress.
0: Yeah. Well, and we'll definitely put a a link in the show notes for, for the book. Again, it's called walking on water when you feel like you're drowning. Uh, And I, and I've been there uh, a a few different times and it, it kind of something that I was thinking about um, and just reading, you know, your story before we had a chance to talk um, when I was single, single professional working in New York city, I was in and out of this depressed state. I was definitely dealing with depression and some, some months better than other months or some years better than other years. And, I, and then it also, and I was like you, all I wanted to do was be a wife and a mom. Like I just wanted my family. I didn't want a career. I just wanted to be a mom and, and, and raise, raise kids. And now I get married and uh, I, I become an instant you know, stepmother which I didn't quite know how to handle. And, uh, you didn't have
1: any kids yourself.
0: No, no kids never been married. And I got married over 40 and had both my children over 40. And, uh, and I got pregnant, um, right after we got married a couple of weeks after we got married. So I moved across the country, no friends or family in Colorado stepmother uh got pregnant right away so now I'm hormonal like i i you know i'm trying to just be a newlywed like i am yeah i was on that emotional roller coaster and really struggling and quite frankly didn't didn't handle it very well um but then when i had my my first my daughter uh i didn't realize it at the time but i you know hindsight realized that i had postpartum depression and so i felt that depression you know you know re- recognizing that it, it came back um So my question is, sure, like, is, is depression, anxiety, these, these sort of mental things that we go through, is it, is it circumstantial? Like in your experience, have you seen it more as something that's circumstantial that hasn't quite been addressed? Or is there really some kind of internal chemical thing going on, or maybe a mixture of both?
1: Yeah, From your experience. You, yeah. You just asked the million-dollar question. This is exactly what I wrote the whole book about. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll I, you're right. Uh, it's a little of both. Actually, there's two or three or four things that could be going on. Mm-hmm. So let me just throw that down for you real quick. Yeah. Some people are just born genetically disposition to not produce serotonin well, and so they struggle with emotional depress, d- d- emotional distress, uh, depression, anxiety, things like that purely genetics, uh, and it is a chemical imbalance in their body. They're, they're low on serotonin, and some people are just born that way, right? Okay. Some people are born that way a little bit. Uh, I know there's genetics involved because my granddaddy was anxious, my daddy was anxious, and both of my sons both struggle with anxiety. Mm, okay. it, it's a genetic thing where my our bodies just don't produce the right chemicals. Okay. So, There's always that that part where uh, there's some genetics involved and there is absolutely chemicals involved. This is the problem in the Christian community, because forever Christians didn't want to talk about chemical imbalances and they sure didn't want to talk about medicine. Right. And 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 it did a lot of disservice to a lot of people because there is a medical, clinical, physiological issue going on in most people, I believe, that are struggling with emotional distress. And so it needs to be addressed medically and chemically. There's another part that's just can be just traumatic trauma induced, right? Like me, my wife dies of cancer. It took my little bit of anxiety and threw me over into a category that was dysfunctional really because of the trauma increased the, uh, uh, the trouble. Now some people can be going along in life and they just flat burn out their juice. They just, they worked hard. They, they ran fast. they had enough stress over and over again, piling on that stress, piling on until their body stops producing serotonin the way it's supposed to produce. And so trauma and stress has beat them down to where now they're having uh, depression and anxiety. It was situational and environmentally uh, connected. So there's all these different factors and you don't know. And then the last part is spiritually. Some people I do believe, go through uh, spiritual events and, and think that there, there is sometimes your own choices contribute to your, your emotional distress. You've made bad choices. And so, and, and, you know, I think there, I think there are two things that go on in this world. There's good and bad and, um, and, and Christians can be under attack or humans can be under a, attack Uh, so I think minorly that can also be happening also. So there's your, all your, there's the answer to your question as briefly as I can say it.
0: Yeah, no. And I, and I think that's very helpful because I know in my experience, it's been, um, I, I do believe it's been much more from a circumstantial perspective, right? There just, I, I, and the mental thing that I had to go through was how my life wasn't turning out the way I wanted it to you know, all the things that I wanted and it wasn't going that way. God had a different plan for me, you know, so. uh and unmet. Having
1: yep. Unmet. Unmet expectations. Right. Yeah, and, and, and the cornerstone of my healing process for people is to be willing to accept the worst case scenario, except what you can't control, except whenever the plan didn't turn out the way you wanted it to mm-hmm. yeah. acceptance,
0: acceptance. Yeah. I mean, the serenity prayer, right. It's uh, it's so apropos and things like this, um, hundred percent. And we actually have that prayer, uh, right in our hallway. So as soon as we walk in Beautiful. the front door, it's the it's the, it's the first thing along with the the mess that our kids leave in our house. Um, <laughs>
1: you see, when you walk in the always. door, always right with small kids. Hey, listen, though, parenting, parenting tip. Yeah. If your house is spotless, you're probably not doing the parenting you should be doing. <laughs> Good to know. Cause, right? Cause
0: I, because I think that's where my anxiety comes in. I, I've never really thought of myself as an anxious person, but I have noticed where I can get myself worked up and I. I don't like clutter and a mess and I want things to have a proper place and put things away. And like with small kids, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is out the window. Like I've had to yep. relearn how to handle all of this. And, and it's been a journey, you know, I mean, I am much better at it four years in
1: than I was the first year, but yeah, um, you just can't, you just can't keep a. I don't think you can spend all the quality loving time with your kids uh, and keep the house all straight. Part of it, yeah. you just got to play with your kids a lot, and that means messy sometimes.
0: Yep, hundred percent. Yeah, it's good advice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's and that goes into um, a little bit. You know, uh, uh, what I also want to just share is, or or and talk to you about is that family time, right? Like how to help be present. Like how how do you help couples feel like they're present with their kids? They're they're showing up for them as a mother and father um, with without feeling like they're pulled from all the other things. We've got a lot of working parents. Like how do, how do you create that balance, um, for, for couples? Like, how do you advise them on
1: that? Well, I am a marriage counselor at heart, meaning that when the marriage is right, typically the family is right.
0: I've heard that a few times recently, and you're another voice saying that. so true.
1: Yeah. Well, the greatest thing to answer your question, I believe, the greatest gift you can give your children is for them to grow up watching mother and daddy loving each other well. It's not what you do to the kids; it's what you—it's what they see between the husband and wife.
0: I mean, my huge out there, right? <laughs> yep. So let's. So then, let's go to that. So for the couples who are listening, you know, people listening right now, and they're in a marriage where it's struggling. They're not talking to each other. You know, the the communicate. I mean, communication. Of uh, what we've what we've experienced with our clients, or uh, just even various surveys that we've done, number one, hands down, struggle is communication, which is a broad topic.
1: Um, so how? It's not as broad as you think it is. I can I can sum it up real quick. Okay, do it. So whenever I do marriage intensives, or my, I, I've got a I got a marriage seminar coming up in in Colorado, and Rock Your Family will be doing a, a marriage retreat in the end of September. Uh, my, my number one thing about communication because people you're it's broad in the sense that people come in all the time and say uh oh we have a communication problem well that's going to mean one of 400 different things right and we i guess- fight too much we don't talk we don't you know all this different stuff right i've narrowed it down to this little system i do about communication person number one has to learn to communicate their hurts, needs, concerns, or frustrations at a level two, not angry, and with an I feel statement. Person number one has to learn to express what they need or how they're hurt or what their frustration is. Person number two has to validate those feelings, not agree and not understand, but validate those feelings. So communicate communicate your need Validate those feelings. When a couple learn, whenever I teach a couple that concept, I'm almost done with them. Whenever they g- get good at that, I'm almost done with them. And all of a sudden, the whole family blows up wonderful because mom and dad are sharing their needs and feeling validated in those needs. It's really simple.
0: Yeah. So that's actually something that we've heard often from the couples we've worked with. And that it is, it is, it's like a, a win loss battle that seems to be going on, right? Like, yeah. you know, he said this, she which is always, that.
1: A lose-lose. Lose, right? always a lose lose lose. That's always a lose lose.
0: Right. So how how do you help a couple? Like, you know, like where do where do they start? Right. You've got you. you they're arguing about the garbage when it's really not about the garbage, right? So so what? So, so how? True right? So what goes, what's the first step in helping them be able to sort of take a step back and be like, okay, it's so, not about the garbage.
1: Yeah. So I, I have to set them down and say, okay, and show, I write it out on the board, that communication validation business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I turn and look at them. I said, all right, so why don't y'all do that? Why don't y'all do that? She might say, well, cause he doesn't like to talk and I'll have to start working with him about how to learn how to say words that mean what he feels inside, which he doesn't know how to do. Okay. He might say, she can't open her mouth without chewing me out and being all this and that. She's so unpleasant when she talks to me, I'm not interested in listening to her. Mm -hmm. And so I have to tell her how to keep herself to communicate her feelings like we tell our children use your words, use your words. (laughs) She has to learn to use her words and express what she really felt, not what she's angry about. Mm -hmm. And whenever you get a couple to figure out why am I not saying what I really feel? And a lot of times it's because when I do say what I feel, I'm not validated. Mm -hmm. Right. I tell you I'm hurting and you just roll your eyes. I'm telling you, I'm telling you we hadn't had sex and, and, two weeks and i'm dying here and she goes really we're gonna have this conversation again well no wonder he doesn't tell her what he's or she tries to say it's hurtful whenever you don't spend time with me and he just rolls his eyes and says you know i have to work get over it yeah of course they're not going to tell you how they feel yeah you have to validate those feelings
0: the validation part is really key that i that that i think yeah a lot of couples are are missing the boat on and and then why people shut down and not, and yes. not actually share what's on their heart. So yeah, good job narrowing it down to a very simple formula right there. Right. Um, so now we've talked also about the marriage being strong, right? That that's the best way you can lead um, your children. Um, but one of the things that I, I saw online in uh, your, you know, your bio, so to speak was, was that you've worked, you and Marty have worked to, um, raise thriving, godly adults. So what would you say are some of those basic principles that you help with children being thriving, godly adults?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to blow your audience up, right? Here, if that's all right. <laughs> do it. Let's do it. So, so we did not make the children the center of our home. That was one of the strongest things I did. Right. <laughs> right. A child-centered family, which is typical of a mom and dad who aren't getting along and don't really like each other. They're naturally going to make the kids the center and just dance around the kids because they don't really like the marriage. That's why you have to have the marriage right Mm -hmm. so that you don't dance around the kids and make the kids at the center of the marriage. So a child-centered family, I believe, doesn't work. I think that you have to have a marriage centered family and the children be welcome guests on the outside. You can ask any of my kids uh, about that and they'll go, Oh yeah, mom and dad would nearly make out on the couch all the time. They're just, you know, it's all about mom and dad first. Yeah. So the second one is the second blow up here is, um, it probably has, I believe has more to do with dad than anything else. Um, If you ask my children, my daughters, hey, what does your dad think of you? My daughters will say this. Um, They'll say that he thinks I'm beautiful and that he would die for me. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: He thinks I'm beautiful and I'm so important and valuable that he would die for me. I believe that's done more to make my daughters healthy than anything else. If you ask my sons uh, why they do well in life, they'll say because dad was always proud of me. And he told me, yeah, "I have what it takes to be a man." Hmm. And I intentionally fed into that. Now, Mama was amazing. Mama was incredible. Mama kept them straight and and put up with nothing. I mean, tough. But I was able to pour into I think the core essential need of a child, a female and a male child growing up. In that, for a woman, that that my daughters were beautiful and lovely and and worth dying for. So that so that they didn't have security issues as, as an adult. And that my boys felt like they had what it takes to be a man. And they knew that daddy was proud of them. So they've done really well in, in their adult life.
0: And and that example can can be flip-flopped, right? For for the mother, right? You know, if it's of course. Yeah. I
1: mean, yeah. Mom feeds into that too, but mom feeds a different part of a kid. Mom feeds the nurturing. How to? Well, she teaches men how to be men. Whenever she lets them transition into manhood as teenagers, mm-hmm. the mistakes mom make is whenever they still want to uh, helicopter their teenage sons, and he ain't having it. Yeah, he he ain't going to have it. That's just the way it works. She has to back up and let him be a man, and she has to teach those girls how to be a woman, how to be a lady, and how to be strong and tough. Yeah. And, and and so moms have a huge role in the process. And if dad's not in the picture, or if dad's not doing his job, right, then mom does have to step into those roles. Right.
0: Right. It's so amazing how, um, you know, my, my husband and I, we, we talk about, you know, God, marriage and kids, right. Like in that order. Yes, yes, Yes. Right. Um, and, and it's really something, and it's been something that we've I've always believed it's just how how I was raised. It's how my parents were. Um, But my husband comes from a family of like a divorce rate of 90 percent. Like everyone is just divorced in his family. And then, of course, he followed in the footsteps and divorced as well. Um, And so when when he and I met, I mean, that was a very big priority to him of having a good example for his daughter It's like, I got to I got to change the trajectory here. This is this is this is not working out well. And even her mother is divorced twice. So, you know, she doesn't have an example of what a proper marriage and family you know, and all of that. So, um, right. but when we also met, he, he really was on a, he was on a journey of God and couldn't he actually even say God, he called it the universe. And slowly as we've been together, he's opened up to call in God. Now he's found Jesus, you know, he's been on this journey yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's really been beautiful to just watch him develop and, 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 um, and just find his way with, with faith. Um, and for anyone listening, I would say if you're sort of in that position where you don't know where, you know, your spouse is or how that's going, like, just continue to be the example, right? We always talk about example, right? Because that was the one thing I was like, I got to support him on his journey. I think differently or believe otherwise or whatever, but like, I got to support him and continue to be the example. Um, and, and in a short period of time, he's found Christ, which is a beautiful thing. Um, so now we have this, you know, God marriage and kids. So for the audience listening where that might not be the case, how do you even get God to start becoming a priority in your home? Because that it's, it's not even just missing in our home. I mean, it's missing like everywhere so we we and it starts at the home right so we got to start making some changes here um how do we help families do that
1: yeah well i i do a live bible study every morning on facebook youtube and tiktok simultaneously okay and two to five thousand people a day go through tiktok on my bible study wow and you talk about a godless territory right the absence of god and what that looks like just come on and watch my tiktok bible study sometime it's ridiculous but anyway so you just pretty much quoted beautifully kate i love your heart i don't even know you but i i love your heart <laughs> oh, thanks you just pretty much quoted first peter chapter three uh that says uh Wives, what do you do with a husband who's unwilling to live according to God's word? It says, you live righteously yourself so that he may be won over without words. Mm -hmm. That it's not your actions. It's not, it's not, I mean, it's not your words. It's not, you're not going to talk him into it. You're not going to give him lip service till he decides to be be a Christian. You just be you. The answer to your question is if a spouse is not where you want them to be spiritually. You just do you with God and love them well. You yeah. you put their needs above your own. You serve and love them well. And I've heard story after story after story after 30 years, that husband or that wife who finally uh, got their relationship with God right after watching. And they all, they'll all say it was because I watched my spouse do it. And, and eventually I wanted that too. mm mm-hmm but God has, it's one of my top 10 rules of marriage is that God has to be at the center of the marriage for it to be all that he designed it to be.
0: Yeah. And that applies even outside of just, uh, marriage, like any, if you think about anything that if you're going to just talk at, talk at someone like do this and believe that and do that, Like, I mean, if you think about just the, the, what's happening within the world, and just the secular world of just the, this divisiveness and, you know, these sides battling each other. Well, no one's going to ever so-called switch to the other side just by talking at them and screaming about like your belief systems. Right. So um, it really, um, yeah, it's, it's something that could be applied everywhere. Yes,
1: Yeah. And so from a parenting point of view, a mistake a lot of parents make is shoving it down their kid's throat too. Um, I think if you ask my kids, they'll go, No, Dad never really preached to us. Dad never we, I just saw him reading his Bible every morning. Mm-hmm. I just and then we went to church every Sunday and and he gave me advice based on scripture and 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 that kind of just it wasn't a forced, even with your spouse, to to, to do this right parenting-wise, it's not a forced thing, it's not a, a check mark for a Christian parent to. Make your kids memorize this many verses and everything else. Um, I, I think kids respond best to seeing it 90% of the time and hearing it 10% of the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you certainly want your words to match your actions and you know, and vice versa, but it really is based on the example and the actions that that are seen. That's what they um and I yeah, I mean, I just think of just so many little different things that um you know, just recently, um, you know, we've had conversations about spanking, like both Tanner and myself grew up where we were spanked as kids. And I don't necessarily really think anything of it. I'm like, okay. You know, and, and, and a couple of times we've, we've spanked our kids, but then we've, we, I just had this aha moment. I'm like, but I'm teaching my daughter to use gentle hands and to not hit her brother or not beat up on the dog and like, be, you know, be nice and use you, like, keep your hands to yourself, that thing. And then I'm going to go spanker. And I'm like, I, you know, I understand, you know, where spanking has come from and whatever. And, let, you know, and, and, and we all have different perspectives on, you know, whether we use that or not, but it just was that all of a sudden aha moment. And granted, literally, I can count on probably one hand, how many times I spanked my kids. But I mean, but it was just that moment where I was like, oh, I have to find a different way. Because it doesn't match, like in my mind, it just didn't match. And so, what would be a different way that would be more effective to teach her gentle hands, and and still, you know, discipline? Because the discipline still needs to be there. Um, and so, that that was just something that like came to me recently. And again, actions and words—you want everything to to match. Um, I don't, I don't know if you have any comments on
1: spanking, but uh, uh, I, are you asking? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm asking. I'd be curious. You know, I mean, you've been yeah. parenting way longer than we'll me. Prob-
1: we'll probably agree to disagree a little bit about that. Yeah. Look, there's three or four forms of discipline in your children. And the role of discipline is to bring about remorse, repentance, confession, and a change of heart. Okay. The mistake a lot of parents make is that they'll punish to anger instead of punish to repentance. In other words, if you punish your kid, discipline them somehow, and the kid is just angry and you wait till everybody gets over it and then you just move on in life, you've actually done more harm than good. You cannot punish or discipline to anger and then end it right there. You have to discipline through that to a a, a remorse, a repentance, a change of heart. And that's the mistake a lot of parents make. The question is, how do you do that? Then what is the discipline or the punishment that should take place? There can be corporal punishment, which is spanking. There can also be a removal of privileges. That's Mm -hmm. the second option you have. Then the third option is isolation, uh, a removal of social uh, to go to your room or stand in the corner, isolation. The fourth one is on rare occasion, you do have some children that you can just verbally reprimand, and that's enough. Mm. A lot of parents wish that verbal reprimand would work, and they try it over and over again and they just get more and more frustrated and angry with their children because it does it's not enough yeah. it doesn't hurt
0: oh yeah it doesn't work with my kids they're very mm. strong-willed and yeah no way <laughs> it's got to be more so
1: you have to figure out which one works i believe i do believe if you're going to spank that it should end around 8 9 10 years old it shouldn't go on past that because then it just doesn't work i can get into the psychological reasons for that but i do believe for most kids Uh, that spanking uh, is required really to get Mm -hmm. them to that place for most Mm -hmm. kids. Um, And I believe, I believe I can biblically back that up. And it's not just meaning discipline. It means uh, to not spare the rod or the spanking, I believe. Yeah. Biblically. Yeah. But, but Kate, listen, I believe if you spank with your hand, you are exactly what you were saying you're teaching your daughter not to hit and whenever you hit your child with your hand I believe that does say the same thing and that's what you were connecting the dots on right I do believe if you spank with the right utensil or belt (laughs) right uh, uh, yeah the wooden spoon we had actually uh, a leather belt I'd cut up and and uh, glued two pieces of leather belt together so a leather strap that was you know about 12 inches long that didn't leave a mark it wasn't damage but it would pop and and, and it were, i believe it worked i yeah. believe it was very effective and and we didn't have to use it often or much but when when we did we we punished to repentance through the anger and i believe it worked very well and kids will separate that from the being the same as hitting your brother or sister uh, whenever you use something rather than using your hand
0: yeah hand yeah interesting well so, I appreciate the yeah, I appreciate the the perspective and insight. And I and I think it's something again, you know, we as parents we 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 do get frustrated. And there is points where the discipline needs to come into play. And how do without we,
1: without anger?
0: Without anger, right? On our part. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a and that, yeah, I'm glad you, you prefaced that again because that's that's another thing that I've noticed. Um, just, you know, again, as a new parent, um, that, that some of it is my own emotions, you know, like I have got to lower my emotional temperature first before going to respond to what is happening with my child, because I'm not, I don't want to take it out on my child. That's not, that's not the, that's not the the purpose of all this. So, um, and I think that's something that, you know, we're so emotionally, charged and we're tired and we're you know it's everything that that then that comes out um and that's not how we actually that's not what we're intending to do for majority of the parents you know people listening but that's what ends up happening so yes you know, you know the most common
1: thing i hear from moms is when i say hey how do you think you're failing as a mom they'll say i yell at my kids i raise yeah. my my voice to my kids and it's my number one rule to not do as a parent but every parent does it that's why on a scale from one to ten you should always discipline between a two and a four if you're a five six seven or, or ten uh you've got to choose not to discipline at that time yeah even if it feels like the kid's winning you walk away
0: yeah Yeah. And that in itself will then be a lesson to your child, right? So, right. Like, Oh, mom's got to cool off before we get to your phone. Right. And And that's a lesson it is. I mean, it really is amazing how it's all so connected and, um, and how, uh, just these small little things that we can do, um, really change and, and can just help so much and benefit, um, our marriage and our our children and our family life so steve thank you so much for being a part of the podcast and and this conversation it's been fantastic i love that you're you know you're just uh, around the corner so to speak from where we are in colorado springs yeah. which is awesome uh your retreat your so family
1: beautiful. yeah oh. rock your family counseling center it's rockyourfamily.org yep we'll uh, have that linked up yeah. sure. we do all types of counseling marriage family, individual. And we do intensives where people can come for five days at a time and and have me for, or one of my other guys for five days, all day long, every day. And then we get out and do high ropes course. We get out and do kayaking and and do therapy in those environments. We have a really cool system set up. So,
0: yeah. And actually, before we say goodbye, talk a little bit about that because you sort of um, I, I, I saw something that you referenced sort of this, this intensive versus and, and experience based therapy. How, how is that different from traditional therapy for someone who might be interested?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, we do the traditional where you come in my office, sit down with me for an hour and we talk, right. But, it's much better your brain gets out of that mode into play mode whenever you get into experience-based therapy. In other words, if I could put you and your husband on a kayak and <laughs> you both have to paddle in unison or on a climb wall where you have to tie together, where you have to climb up that wall, I get to see the real dynamic of the couple. I get to see y'all getting out of the counselor professional mode into how you function in life together. Yeah. And it makes all the difference in the world. Plus it makes you enjoy your spouse in that moment. And then we get to process. Why did you yell at her right then? Or why did, why did you boss him around during that or whatever? Right. It just changes everything to do it experientially.
0: We, uh, we work with a a therapist as well, just, um, from blended family issues and just good. Always to have outside, outside perspective and, and, uh, keep us straight. Um, and she, uh, she continues to remind us, which we haven't done yet, but she's like, just go buy a puzzle, go buy a puzzle and put it together and see how the two of you work. Like who puts the edges first, who deals with the same colors for, you know, I mean, you learn so much about how you approach something. That's it. Right. That's exactly
1: why we do what we do.
0: Yeah. That yeah, that's just what came to mind as you were sharing that. So, well, this is fantastic. Um, rockyourfamily.org is the website. We'll have that linked up as well for everyone. Uh Steve Levitt, thank you so much for joining us on the Family OS Podcast.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Family OS Podcast.
1: We have a special gift that we'd love to give you. Text us the word POD, P-O-D, to 720-459-4219, and we'll text you back. Until next time.